Amen. Well, my name is Taylor, Taylor Griffin. Um, I'm new on staff. Uh, yep. But I was a, oh, I am a central alum. And um, I was a music major studying piano. Actually overlapped a year with Tim Gui, who you guys probably all know in the music department. Um, just a quick story about me and Tim. Uh, I was a senior leading a corps in Al Monte, the res hall that was for the music majors. I believe it's closed this year, apparently, which is dumb. Um, and so Tim was living in Almo. He's there, part of my corps. And I learned something quickly about Tim, which was that he was pretty much up for anything, especially if it would possibly be a memorable experience. Can anyone else, just show of hands for anyone who knows that about Tim. Yeah. Yep. <coughs> So, you know, we met in, uh, in the room of some other students who are also part of our core, Caleb and Ben. And one night after core, Caleb went back to the music building to get some practicing in. So uh, Tim and I pranked him by moving his whole bed and some hats to the top of a stairwell. Maybe we have a picture. Yep. That's Tim, freshman year, his freshman year. Yep. Um, Another time, I don't know who came up with this, but uh, we somehow we, I ended up filming Tim attempting to lick Brandon Davis's earlobe at a party. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and now we're roommates. <laughs> and we both work for Chi Alpha. <laughs> so uh, in case you didn't know, I'm, I'm married to Cassidy who's on staff, um, and then we've got two kids, Matthew and Sophie. Yep, there's them. Matthew is uh, this guy eating the whipped cream and playing in the leaves, and there's Sophie smiling, and, and then there's all three. That's my amazing family. Yep. Um, a little bit more about me. I am a person with a lot of interests. Uh, music, health and nutrition, books, and movies. I love movies. Um, one movie I saw last year was The Batman. I thought it was great. It's okay if you didn't like it. It's not like my favorite film, but I really enjoyed it. Um, and I don't know if anyone is like me uh, who like watches or reads movie reviews, um, but the question that the internet was asking leading up to the release of this film, at least according to my algorithm, was how is Robert Pattinson going to do? as the Batman. Will he succeed as Batman or will he fail? Will he live up to the legacy or be a stain? Um, I saw a Jimmy Kimmel interview with Robert Pattinson where Kimmel literally said, if you're a bad Batman, there's no bigger disaster than that, is there? No pressure. Luckily for Robert Pattinson, it seems like he crushed it. Like most critics gave him the thumbs up even if they didn't like the film. So a question for y'all, why was this such a big deal? Why was there so much attention given to Robert Pattinson and his ability to own the role of the Batman? Um, even more than if the movie was going to be good or not. And I think that it's because people love the character of Batman. Now, I know there's going to be some of you who are like, I hate Batman. Love him or hate him, he is, the Batman is an important character in the world of cinema. And there are probably many reasons why Batman has been such an icon. The gadgets, 
the interesting villains, the fact that he doesn't have any real superpowers. But the, I think the main reason that Batman has kept returning to movies is because of his story. He is a human being who has trained intensely, who willingly puts himself in harm's way, who is committed to stopping crime all at his own expense for the sake of his hometown, Gotham City. <laughs> and there's just something so compelling to us about a person that would do that. Um, honestly, it's not like this story is even original. Many, many, many uh, stories have virtually the same plot. A person like one of us who chooses a path of suffering for the sake of the greater good. The Bible would call this the suffering servant. And this is the key takeaway here. I believe that every truly good story is good because it draws off the story of Jesus, which is the one true story. It's the story that all other stories aspire to. This is the story so deeply embedded in the human mind, we can't but help tell this story and long for it to be true. For people like Paul and the church in Philippi, this is a story they were telling and living. Um, before I forget, man, I need to get the Bible pastors down here. Can we get some Bible pastors to pass out Bibles? If you need one, you know how it works. You just kind of go like this, and then they'll see and give you one. Um, if you were with us last week, you may remember that Melissa started us on a journey through the letter to the Philippians. Um, I'm just going to wait one moment. So go ahead and get your Bibles out. I, I meant to say this earlier, but um, if you have your Bibles ready, you can start flipping to Philippians. You can start flipping there. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, as you're turning there, I just want to review some of the questions that Melissa asked us to consider last week. Like, what things are on the throne of your life? And are those things hurting or helping your relationship with Jesus? Uh, Melissa also asked us to reflect on the question, have you ever considered yourself as a partner in the gospel? And that question comes from what Paul says to the Philippians. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, if you're like me, the phrasing of that statement may have seemed a little odd at first. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the sharing of the gospel. I think that's what I expect it to be. But Paul doesn't say that. He says, because of their partnership in the gospel. What does it mean to be a partner in the gospel? And this actually leads us kind of into our passage for this evening. Um, we're going to begin in Philippians 1, 27. And we begin our passage with a plea from Paul and his co-writer, Timothy. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Can we just pause and take that in? Whatever happens, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, the good news of the Messiah. Can you hear that for you tonight? Continuing, he says, Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one 
for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Last week, Melissa showed us how Paul appeals to the Philippian believers in the midst of their likely persecution. And we pick up with this charge to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's like what Robert Pattinson may have heard when talking to Jimmy Kimmel, play the role of Batman in a manner worthy of his story. If I could have your attention for one moment out of this entire evening, it would be to tell you this. The gospel is a story, not a system. The gospel is a story, not a system. The gospel is a person, not a program. The gospel is a way, not a single decision. And if the gospel is a story... We are invited to join its story. If the gospel is a person, we are invited to become like that person. And if the gospel is a way, we are invited to living in that way. This is why Paul lays it all on the line and says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the greatest story ever told, the gospel of the servant Jesus who suffered and died for his people. The gospel is a story that invites us into eternal glory by living in a manner worthy of the life of suffering. I'm going to say that again. The gospel is a story that invites us into eternal glory by living in a manner worthy of the life of suffering. And you know, if you're unsure what that means... That's okay. We'll be talking about that a lot of the rest of the evening. So for now, let's just read a little bit more to see how Paul sees this worthy of the gospel kind of life play out. Philippians 2, starting in verse 1, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, now pause. How are they united with Christ? Jesus suffered for the sake of the gospel, now they are suffering for the sake of the gospel. And then continuing, if you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do this all together, right? Stay unified and allow the spirit to help you do so. Verse 3 do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, va value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In other words, verse 5, think about your relationships with Jesus' mindset. Be like Jesus in the way you relate to one another. And at this point, Paul and Timothy are fired up. And they just start telling the story of Jesus. It says, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, 
and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Hallelujah. Do you see the story in this poem? Jesus humbled himself, became a servant, suffered, and died. Only to rise from the dead and achieve the ultimate seat of authority over the entire universe, the spiritual realm, the physical realm, and the realm of the dead. That's what Paul's referring to in verse 10. So, what's Paul's therefore going to be about? We know it's coming. There's always a therefore with Paul. (laughs) First, think back to our opening passage. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So far, the Philippians have been living like Jesus in his suffering. At the very least, they're facing some fierce resistance um, because of their allegiance to King Jesus. But Paul is addressing something they're lacking, this servanthood part of the gospel. So in verse 12, it says, My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only isn't in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I want to pause here so I can tell you guys a story. When I was five years old, my dad sat me down and told me about Jesus for the first time. Now, I'm sure that this is not exactly what he told me, but what I heard from him was something like this. Taylor, if you accept Jesus into your heart, when you die... You get to go live in heaven forever and have fun for all of eternity. And if you don't, sadly, you will go to hell and burn for all of eternity. So which one do you want? And I mean, I just believed my dad wholeheartedly. I'm a naturally very trusting person. And I said, I accept Jesus into my heart. few months after that, it occurred to me, man, if I died today, I would go to heaven and would probably get to start my life of eternal fun. So I asked my dad, dad, if I get to go to heaven when I die, why don't I just jump off a cliff right now? <laughs> my dad I, was a little concerned for some reason. And he, you know, <laughs> he told me, hey, Jesus wouldn't like it if you did that. So, case closed. I tell this story because if I had heard this verse that we just read as a five-year-old fresh believer, it would have been concerning to hear the words, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I would have thought, I said the prayer, I believe. What more is there to work out? And why should I be trembling? Can anyone relate? And I think this probably comes down to the way that many of us understand the concept of salvation, which is a pretty Christian-y word. 
Sometimes the way we talk about salvation makes it seem like we're talking about a once and for all saving from eternal damnation. But I think the way it makes more sense for Paul to be talking here is is about how the gospel of Christ saves you from a life of sin. I'm just going to say that again. Paul's talking about the way the gospel of Christ saves you from a life of sin. Melissa touched on this last week when she showed how Paul had no real preference on whether he lives or dies. In his mind, he's saved in both circumstances. In Chi Alpha, we usually opt to use the New International Version, the NIV, Bible translation. There's another translation. Well, actually, it's not even quite a translation. It's called a paraphrase, written by a stellar theologian named Eugene Peterson. Uh, It's called The Message. Some of you may have heard of it. Here's the way the message paraphrase puts this verse. What I'm getting at, friends, is that you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. So to work out your salvation means to fully leave behind your old way of living. Now, I want to acknowledge that there may be some of us here tonight who have, who have thought of the gospel only in terms of your belief in Jesus saving you from hell. And no need to raise your hand, but if that's you, there's, there's actually an opportunity for you to start your life of salvation right now. If you feel like you've never committed to joining Jesus' story in this life, please take tonight to consider that. Now, Paul's going to start giving some very specific instructions for how he wants the Philippian church to do this. Can I just state something obvious? Yes. Oh, sweet. Thank you. Thanks, Jaina. Paul, here it is. Paul isn't going to give instructions to the church if they don't need instruction. Wow. Wow. Uh, To put it more bluntly also, you know, Paul wouldn't say it if they didn't need to hear it. In verse 14, he says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. So we might assume that there is some grumbling and arguing going on, right? Paul wouldn't say that they didn't need to hear it. And remember that at the start of this train of thought, Paul says, live like Jesus, and this will save you. Hey, for starters, maybe you should be like Jesus, live like Jesus, and not grumble and argue with each other. Can you imagine how it would change your image of Jesus if he had complained and grumbled throughout his ministry? Throughout his lead up to the cross? What difference would it make if Jesus seemed really resentful for having suffered and died for you? What if after he rose from the dead, he was just like making passive-aggressive comments to everyone? (laughs) Can I confess something to you guys? Sometimes when someone bothers me, I am tempted to do something that I call venting, as though I'm doing something that's just really necessary for my mental health. Uh, Or maybe I'm just like an external processor, you know, I need to talk it out. 
But what actually ends up happening is that I start to complain about and tear down other people's images to someone else. I'm airing my grievances, and now the person I'm telling has a stain in their mind on that person. If you look closely at this passage, no grumbling and arguing is like Paul's only specific instruction. And he follows it up with the why. Why does he want them to do everything without grumbling or arguing? So that they will become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. You may notice there are some quotes in this verse. Um, And if you look at your footnote, you can see that Paul is shooting a hyperlink way back to the book of Deuteronomy. Now, I know that you guys are all just dying to dive into Deuteronomy right now. But instead of doing that, the briefest summary of the book of Deuteronomy is that it was Moses' final parting words to the Israelites before they entered the promised land. He was reminding them of all they had been through and what they had been taught and how they should act when they've settled in the land they were about to enter. So we might assume that Paul sees the Philippian church as about to embark on its own journey into a metaphorical promised land. Verse 15 says, Then you will shine like stars in the sky among them as you hold firmly to the word of life. Think about that. Paul says, If they do everything without grumbling or arguing, they will shine like stars in the sky amongst their neighbors. Now, I like to imagine the Philippians giving some pushback, like, hey, don't we have the right to grumble? I mean, we're being persecuted, for goodness sakes. And why is arguing so bad, you know? So-and-so is being a dummy, and someone needs to call him out. But to Paul, this is an image thing. If the Philippians can manage to be like Jesus... To trade their grumbles for gratefuls and their arguments for encouragements, then their neighbors will actually see them as something unique. It matters how the Philippian church is perceived while they undergo this persecution. And you know, it matters how we as Chi Alphans are perceived by those on this campus. Guys, when we do this, when we grumble and complain and argue, We're not creating unity in our group, not even amongst the people we're venting to. We're not helping ourselves process. We're actually more likely firmly cementing a bad image in our heads of a person. And you know, grumbling and arguing can feel really good in the moment, but when other people outside of our community hear it, they realize that we're just as unempathetic and uncompassionate as the rest of the world. Let me just say this again, because I want to make sure we hear it. When you grumble, complain, and argue, you are not acting in a way worthy of the gospel of Christ. When you grumble, complain, and argue, you are not acting in a way worthy of the gospel of Christ. And as we conclude, I'd like to just invite up the worship team. Come up here. Last week, Melissa kind of gave us the question, challenged us with the question, what is on the throne of your life? And this week, we're asking, what does it look like for Jesus to be squarely on that throne 
and how might it oppose our natural cultural tendencies? To start with, <coughs> what do others grumble and argue about? And how might you stand out as different in the way that you talk about those things? I visited a Chi Alpha group uh, a few years ago now almost, the Chi Alpha group at CSU, and one of the most incredible things I noticed about uh, that community was how well they talked about each other. I mean, they were doing the opposite of gossip all the time, like talking behind someone's back um, about how great of a person they were. Now, I realize we've really honed in on the grumbling and arguing thing tonight, but this is such a key thing uh, because often our external expressions mirror our internal posture. Some other questions you might ask yourself could be, is my love for my core conditional? Do I only see my core group as what I can get out of it or how it's going to benefit my spiritual journey? Another question might be, is the, love, the way I love my roommates only in response to how they've been treating me? Something I appreciate so much about our roommates, Tim and Shana, is how gracious they are when we're not at our best, me and Cassidy. Like, we're getting stretched thin by our amazing kiddos, and we aren't communicating great. The GUIs are so patient with us and with our kids. Jesus' way of relating to everyone transcends the rules of fairness, equality, and reciprocation. Jesus' way of relating to everyone transcends the rules of fairness, equality, and reciprocation. In fact, Jesus loved people that treated him poorly. His heart broke for people who acted in harmful ways. The kingdom Jesus lived in was upside down from the way the Roman Empire saw things and from the way the typical American mindset sees things. So as we move into our time of worship, you might find yourself in a couple places. It could be that you've actually never considered the gospel as something that saves you from living a life that leads to death. So if that's you, what a great opportunity to start down that path of salvation. For some of us, there may be some legitimate repentance needed. Perhaps you need to confess to someone that you've been complaining to. Like, hey, I, ju I just realized I was totally speaking badly about this person behind their back, and I need to repent of that. I think we might even have the chance to do that this evening. And let's, um, right before we go into worship, let's just start by thinking through some of these application questions and taking some time to journal. <clears throat>